0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Beat Podcast. The mission of our podcast is to show real life challenges of implemented technology in healthcare. The podcast is sponsored by Demigas, a company that develops IT solutions for healthcare startups and companies. You can check more information on demigas.com. My name is Ivan Dunsky, your host as always. And today I'm joined by an honored guest, Ankit Anand. Ankit is uh, vice president of software engineering at Sleepis. He leads the software team and heads the India business of the company. And uh, Ankit started his first venture at the age of 17, and his entrepreneurial experience spread between different continents and domains. Moreover, he studied physics at Zurich and was awarded the leader of tomorrow uh, by the uh, 49. Gallant symposium. Ankit was also listed among 100 young leaders for the Global Leadership Challenge 2021. Ankit, thank you for joining us today. How are you?
1: Thank you. Thank you for the nice introduction. And yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you. How about you?
0: Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. We can probably start from the company Hmm. you currently work at. And could you please tell us about Sleepers and about your products you are building?
1: Yes, sure. So Sleepy is a medical device company, a startup, which started ETS Zurich a spin-off in Zurich. And we are developing easy-to-use medical-grade devices, medical devices. So we try to combine these two value propositions. They should be easy to use while they should have medical grade accuracy. So one of the devices that we developed is a world's first contactless health monitor, a vital sign monitor, which runs on a radar technology, sit on your bedside table and can measure your health conditions without touching you. So the goal that we are working towards is, I mean, the two use cases that we are using this device or our technology for, as we said, easy to use with medical grade accuracy. One is sleep apnea diagnosis at home. So sleep apnea, if you know about this disease, is highly prevalent, but highly undiagnosed, like 1 billion people suffers from disease, but 800 million are undiagnosed. And the diagnosis technique, the test technique is so ageist, right? You have to put 30 plus cable on your body and sleep in a sleep lab to get diagnosed. We are changing that. So you can, using our device with medical grade accuracy, you can get diagnosed for sleep apnea or get tested for sleep apnea at the comfort of your home. So that's one of the huge cases that we use our device for another huge case that we use our device for to early detect code blue in a hospital. So in a hospital, a lot of like 85% of beds are normally unmonitored. Like you have ICUs, which are monitored, but the 85% of beds are unmonitored. And if a patient suddenly start to deteriorate, the current state of the art doesn't allow that you can actually flag it because normally you go on around every six hours and you take the vital. we provide. Mm-hmm a hospital to upgrade themselves with a 24/7 monitoring using our device which is patient is not even feeling that is being monitored because a contactless device placed on your bedside table but it monitors you with a medical grade accuracy and nurses can get alerted remotely if a deterioration start to happen and they can take an action so yeah these are the two use cases we are currently focusing upon using the technology that we developed world's first contactless medical grade ce certified health monitor
0: Mm -hmm. Got it. And how bad is the disease? And do you use the hardware for patients like kind of after the prescription or is it like just open to public and uh, Mm
1: -hmm. people
0: can buy it on the the markets?
1: So as far as sleep apnea is concerned, I mean, that's the route that we wanted to go that because if we go open to prescription, already we are not addressing the problem of this disease disease being undiagnosed, right? Because there is a huge inertia among people to go to a doctor and get tested. And that's the reason why this disease remains undiagnosed. So answering your question, this device is open to the public where they can just book we offer direct to consumer service, they can go on our web shop that we have in different countries currently we are operational in Switzerland, Germany and India, so they can go to our web shop. I mean, if you go to our website, Mm sleepies.com, it will redirect you to the right web shop of your country. And you can simply order, device will be delivered at your home. You sleep with the device for three nights, and we send you a report that you have sleep apnea or not. And we also, that Mm -hmm. is followed by a consultancy, that what your report primarily means. And then a patient can take a call. I mean, of course, after, if they have sleep apnea, then we refer them to a right doctor in their respective geography, which we partner with. Where they can go and take the further steps. We also recently launched our on first online sleep lab, where actually they can complete the entire treatment journey also together with us, where we partner with the, one of the leading sleep labs of sujet. So mm-hmm. yes, it's open to public, and that's how we want to keep it in beginning, because that's where we will basically bridge the gap of highly undiagnosed people to diagnose, to get them more and more people diagnosed about this disease. So when it comes to sleep, yeah, of course, hospital one is definitely on prescription because patients are already mm-hmm. in hospital sure. when doctor says that this patient needs monitoring.
0: Uh, could you please tell us about apnea and how bad is the disease for a patient?
1: Yeah. So sleep apnea, just to go a bit more on a medical side. So it's a disease yeah. where your breathing pauses while you are sleeping. So you get very uh-huh. short pauses of the breathe. This can be 10 seconds or 20 second or something of that short pauses. And because of that pauses in the breathe, what happens, you get a very short awakenings throughout the night, you never you hardly end up falling in a deep sleep or a proper restful sleep. And you feel like I slept for like eight hours, but actually, effectively, you rested for a very small amount of time during the night. Right. And because Mm -hmm. of that reason, you may feel tired entire the day, while you are sleeping Mm -hmm. eight hours, eight, ten hours, you think that my sleep schedule is perfect. But actually, the medically, there is some other reason why you are having this problem. So this is what the sleep apnea, do, and this leads to several short term and long term problems, short term challenges, like as this loss of productivity, daytime tiredness, even a lot of sleep apnea patients get napping while they are just sitting. And that can also lead to a car accident. If they are driving, right, they get a short mm-hmm. nap while because they did not have a restful sleep. So that's a short term implication, but also other problems, which today develop in long term, like obesity, snoring diabetes, cardiac issues. So there are several issues that they develop on a long term. And that's what our company's goal is, right? That we want to move to preventive health care. And sleep is one of the areas where we know a lot about your health. So if we actually try to know medically what's going on with your sleep, we can find out and avoid that long term problem. So that's the consequence of the disease, right? So it can lead to a short term complication. Now the second question that I would like to lead now, okay, this is a problem. How many people have it? So, as I said, actually, one in the seven people on this earth almost have sleep apnea. Like one billion people are suffering from this disease, right? So, it's highly prevalent. But awareness is super low. That's why a lot of people don't know about it. Because they don't even realize they have a problem, right? They are saying, I'm sleeping fine and just tired. It's okay. But they are not realizing that it's leading to a certain big problem within that.
0: Patients don't notice that they wake up during the night.
1: Yeah, they normally don't notice that they wake up during the night. And one of the visible symptoms are like, for example, snoring or daytime tiredness. And if you are aware about the disease, you can point out. But if you are not aware about the disease, you won't point out that this is actually sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. What causes the disease? Yeah, so the cause of the disease is that normally your tongue, while you are sleeping, your tongue falls back. When your tongue relaxes, that falls back on your airway. I mean, this is one symptom I'm describing about obstructive sleep apnea. There are two types of obstructive, which is more prevalent, and then there is a central sleep apnea. But in obstructive, your tongue basically relaxes and falls on your airway, and because of that, it blocks your air, right? So that's the one of the main reason, medically reason, why this happens, and it can be treated. There are different treatment options. I wouldn't get into much detail, otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Having yeah. a full <laughs> medical lecture here, and the doctor will say, "Who are you to make this <laughs> seminar?" So, but there are treatments, but if treated on time, people can get a restful sleep and avoid long term complications. But if most problem is that people just don't know is sleep apnea. I mean, a lot of people don't even know the name of the disease that sleep apnea, what it is. And it's also very common in our lifestyle, right? That if you snore, your family will just laugh at you. are you snore. But yeah, can have a medical reason, which we normally ignore.
0: Mm -hmm. So, as I understood, uh, your solution is more to diagnose the problem,
1: right? Yes, our current solution is focused on testing. As I said, we are also offering treatment together with our partners just to give also patients the Mm -hmm. uh, solution. But the technology that we developed is the core focus was to have very easy to use, but with medical grade accuracy. The diagnosis or test or screen—whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it in different medical terms and that report they can take to doctor and start their treatment
0: got it yeah our podcast is, is about technology so could you please tell us about what is on the technology side what do you have so i assume you have the hardware and also the software so could you please celebrate on that mm-hmm.
1: so this whole technology looks like so we have this device which is a radar based device that you put on your bedside table And that measures your sleep condition using a radar. But now entire data is transmitted directly to the cloud. So the device just records that radar signal, but then the data goes to the cloud within cloud, the all algorithms that we have developed that runs the processing. And finally, back like the doctors or even our internal team has this access of a totally anonymized reports of a patient where they will get the full access remotely. That what is the final report coming out and that report mm-hmm. will be finally shared directly with the patients or with the doctors so that's one part of the tech stack but there is much more to it because the device as i said for different applications we use it so the device also allows to have a real-time access of the entire vital sign of the patients right so a doctor sitting anywhere in the world just logging on their web application can just check what is the vital sign of their patients sitting another part of the world your patient is in australia you are sitting in us and you can actually mm. look at real time how your patient is doing and how their vital sign is right so they have even real-time access they have historical report trend report over the weeks night nights and months all these access you get so this web application gives you the entire access to the health condition of the all different patients of one doctor that is managing so if you're managing 100 of your patients you have the entire report on your fingertip so that's a device cloud And web application. That's the take.
0: Sure. Could you please uh, like in just a nutshell, in general terms, tell how the hardware works? So does it like just listen for the sound? How it works?
1: So the hardware is based on a millimeter wave radar. So it doesn't that's how we protect privacy, you don't want somebody recording your sound while you are sleeping in your room. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a radar based device, it has a millimeter wave radar, which I mean, if you heard about radar, basically, Any radar which is used for military or whatever application you use in different, radar is what? It measures the distance. So what we do that our device measures very accurately to millimeter precision, the distance of your chest wall. So basically when you breathe, your chest wall is vibrating. And our device using a radar measures the vibration of your chest. So it makes the entire Mm. how are you breathing. And from that you can extract vital signs like breathing rate or heart rate or when apnea happens, your breathing pauses, so naturally your breath, you will see that on your chest motion, right? Your chest motion will shrink, right? And from there, we detect the apnea event. So this measures very accurately the motion of your chest wall primarily, and everything follows from there that you extract.
0: So it means that as a patient, you need to be on a specific position to be measured correctly.
1: No, so that's the beauty of it, because the algorithm is so robust that it can detect you can just sleep as comfortably you are sleeping on your natural cycle. So if your algorithm knows what to track and how to track,
0: Mm -hmm. whichever
1: position you are primarily there doesn't matter. We will be able to track accurately what's your breathing and how is your breathing pattern on which we extract the disease signatures, basically.
0: Cool. And could you please tell us about the actual development? Where do you face more challenges on the hardware or software
1: side? That depends who you would ask for. because uh, So we have to understand. So whenever it comes to technology, all of them are challenging and all of them are fun as well. I mean, that's why you end up doing a startup there because you also not you like this challenge, right? But when it comes to hardware and software, there is an inherent difference between that, which has its own. Positive side, it has a negative side as well. So hardwares have a longer development cycle. So you design a hardware, then of course you have to send for manufacturing and then you have to roll it out. And this mm-hmm. whole process takes a lot of time. So you cannot afford to have very weekly sprint where you're making the changes in our hardware every week. That doesn't make sense and it won't happen. This won't never happen, right? So that's one challenge of hardware that you have to freeze your design very early. And you have to whatever you design is very robust, which is keeping a longer timeline in head that it will sustain through all the changes that might come through. That's the challenge. But of course, it also for a technical team is also there is a breathing space afterwards. Once you froze one design sent for manufacturing, then you can be creative. You can think about the next steps and do more structured design afterwards, right? When it comes to software, it gives you flexibility because you are running a cloud software. And of course, you have in medical, there is also some restriction on how soon you can roll out things, but it's still relatively flexible that you can roll out new features. So that gives you and freedom to uh, use some more agile methodology. But it also comes with a challenge that you don't have breathing space, because you always want to do something nice and cool, right? So you're always... (laughs) (laughs) to stop. (laughs) Where to stop. So you don't know, a lot of time you end up over-engineering also, like over-engineering is one of the challenges that we all as a startup faces, right? you are just doing it because you can and that's where the challenge is to find find that thin line where to stop
0: and where are your distribution markets where do you sell the products
1: so currently we are active in europe so like switzerland and germany is the two countries mm-hmm. that we started with and then we are also active in india so that's another country and we'll be soon also expanding our business to other countries for example us as well we recently so We will move to other countries as well, but this part, you will hear from the public news once we go more countries or something like that. Will it be required
0: to go through the FDA?
1: Yes. And okay. There will be a good news coming soon on that end.
0: Okay. (laughs) So that is a fact that there is a global shortage of engineers and do you challenge this problem yourself and how you overcome it?
1: Of course, we cannot be immune from this problem because finding the talent remains the challenge across any vertical or any business that you do, right? So yes, and a technical uh, team is always very, as you said, the global shortage. So yes, we have that. What helped us being very remote-friendly team from the day one? So Mm -hmm. we launched our office subsidiary in India already first year of our foundation of our startup, right? So like we started the company in 2018 and 2019 already we started our subsidiary in India. It's not just the subsidiary in India which matters, but because of having two location team distributed while they are working on the same team or same project, even since then working remote was a part of the inherent culture, right? That people were very used to of working together you know, as a team, but is still working remotely. And that helped us also during the COVID suddenly when we had to all go go to home and start working from home. The transition for us was smooth, right? And that power that we just did in the very beginning, just without thinking too much about it. But now we really enjoy that position because if I have to hire from any country around the world, we don't worry about that part, that how would you manage that country versus that country, because you just, you have done it, been there, done it, right? So Mm -hmm. that gives us an open option to a global talent as well. So there is a global shortage. But if you look around, if you just open your option around the world, Mm-hmm. you should be able to find somebody who is good in your team right so that's how we are addressing it it
0: depends on what technology you use yeah
1: of course there are certain technology even if you open the floor all around the world you will still have shortage but i mean at that end, we are a startup so we don't need thousands of engineers we need some yeah
0: you you have two development teams so i assume one is in india and one is in
1: europe in switzerland I wouldn't call it two different teams. It's the same team, actually.
0: I mean, two locations of the team.
1: Currently, spread in two countries. Dominantly, we also have some other countries where they contribute. There are other people, less amount of people, but but these two countries have the most, most of our technical team spread into.
0: Do you use uh, some external development teams? And if so, what is your experience with that?
1: We did that. So, I mean, also when in beginning, it was very helpful. So like the, our first team was quite external, right? The distribution between internal and external team was very high. And that's how we got quick quickest start, right? Because you don't have to go through the entire hiring process and find the right people on your team. Mm-hmm. You already have a set of people with diverse skill that you can immediately start with. So our beginning for software team was heavily external and slowly, once we started building our culture and starting to know more of our requirement, we internalize those positions. And it was very clear between our partners as well, that this is the pathway we will proceed into. So it was very beneficial to get started in beginning, right? And we still use that approach whenever we have an urgent project coming up. So if you have an urgent project and we don't have enough resources allocated to it, it's very nice to just have that an external team who does that and slowly your team, if you think this is a long term project, then you try to internalize it. If it was just a short term project, you finish definite goal then you close it as well, but just difference between the two, I would say, why, uh, what are the challenges? And so not challenge or benefits, uh, putting what I would like to say, it's why this whole discussion even comes external versus internal. Why do we even yeah. use this external versus internal in our case, it was just the payroll, which was different, right? They were getting paid by somebody else and other HR processing their payment, but our work in, was always like one team, right? we had the same common meetings that our daily catch-up they were participating and throughout the day. So it's just your extended team. So if you can develop that culture, then external versus internal boundary and the challenges fades actually. Then it's the same, right? The way you train or you develop your culture, if you transmit the same culture to the other team, why not? But only thing is that if you can develop that culture, right, you can have that vibe among us that you are interacting, you are also Contributing to their progress. I mean, what I realize is that why some external team developer may not be that much enthusiastic about you versus their own managers, right? Because mm-hmm. if they don't know how much you are contributing to their progress, right? Because maybe you are not part of their appraisal process. You are not part of their age, right? But that doesn't matter because if you can still spend time with them, help them in your career growth as a manager, right? Make them feel home in your own team then they start really putting the similar effort that your internal team will do. So I would say, long story short, it's all about developing the right culture. If you make people feel home and uh, they resonate that with the vision of your company, what they are working, they like what kind of project they are exciting, what project they are working upon. And they feel they are also growing, working together with you.
0: As I understood that you, over the time, you switched more to the internal uh, approach, right? So could you please celebrate what was the thought process that you need to, as you already had an external team who were part of the whole team, right? So Mm -hmm. what was the the thought process why you decided to end up with this approach with having more in-house engineers?
1: I mean, I'll keep it direct. I mean, first thing also goes to finances because internal teams is the similar amount of talent you can have with a, uh, of course your internal part as well so that one part which is basic I would say for everybody right second part is also more about a long-term commitment because only thing that we did not have a control to that if that developer moves out right mm-hmm. and he decides to that okay I'm going somewhere else I cannot sit back on that negotiation with him that hey why are you switching can we talk something can we continue with you right
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in, I won't have that much so this is also like looking more long term But apart from that, as also as a startup, it's also very important that, you know, developing your family, which is there partly, but it's still, as I said, that you don't have full influence, you have partial influence, but not full influence, how you can develop this team. And as a startup, what is our biggest asset, our people, right? Again, it's not the product, it's not the business that you make, it's your people that you primarily in early stage claim that this is what you own, or uh, this is what is your asset. So Mm -hmm. for those reasons, it was important to also have our more longer long term commitment with internal teams. Also, there are other things like, you know, as a startup, you offered benefits like ESOPs, which is difficult to give if it's an external team, right? But your employees get ESOPs, they are Mm -hmm. coming because they are growing with the growth of the company. So these are simple things which are relevant to startups, may not be relevant to other companies, but that definitely is crucial when taking this kind of call. And that's was one of the honest reasons why we took Mm-hmm. An approach.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And could you please share how do you measure your engineering team's productivity? I mean, how you measure it when you had like more external part of the team and now when you have more internal?
1: So we use OKR. I think OKR is one of the nice tool. Of course, it's very difficult to get hang of it.
0: We apply it for the team or for each person specifically?
1: So we do from the top down. So like we define a quarterly company OKR followed by deriving team OKRs, deriving individual OKRs as well. Mm -hmm. So that goes from top to bottom. It basically aligns with everybody else. And we use that also for our external teams, whoever on long term. If there is one month short project, a team is coming up, then of course they won't be part of the OKR, but all the teams that we work were like for us two quarter or longer. Then we also had same system, OKR reviews, basically part of their portfolio as well, their work.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, that is an interesting question. So sometimes it happens that developers, some developers, they they focus on their own job. They focus on how they create code, how they code. And they're not necessarily engaged in a kind of the high mission or high vision of the product, and they just want to code. They are looking for interesting tasks, challenging engineering tasks. So, how do you solve this in your company? How you explain the mission and, and like make people on the same page to reach that goals? Because I think that only with the same understanding of where we all going, that's kind of the the way to achieve the goals I mean the, the the top company goals so what is your opinion on that
1: of course this is one of the quite challenging problem which happens not only in developer across all verticals or all places within a company I think the we'll go back to this OKR methodology that we discussed that we have a company OKR like I mean people were not aware about OKR like it's objective uh, key result that you decide on a very high level that what you want to achieve as an objective, and then you define certain key results to achieve that over the quarter. So we do quarter, but people do it by qu- uh, like six months or even a year or monthly. Then we decide this is the company goal that the company want to achieve in this quarter. Now, how this team can contribute to that company goal. So let's say company want to make a new certification to one new market, right, or get approved or something like that, right, or enter a new market. Then, of course, the regulatory team has to make sure that all regulations are there. But the software team has to make sure that all adaptation that is required for that market is clear. So then you derive the team OKR. Within the team OKR, when you sit with all developers, you say, what do you do? You're a back-end person, right? And to reach that goal, we need this much from the back-end, right? So how would you contribute? And there is still open. And this is why it's not a micromanagement that every task is coming from OKR. This is our broad goal for three months, and this is what we want to achieve. There will be something here and there which can interest you, you can still do, but this is something that we are doing. So, not having very micromanagement, but of giving them this broad direction every quarter, reminding them, helped setting that framework that they are aligned to the vision. That one, but that's the one. I mean, just a framework, I would call it. But that doesn't solve the entire problem. The second part is that what is very important for not only developer or any team, if you are a manager or if you are a team leader. You also have to understand what you are getting paid for, right? So you are getting basically to put the team aligned and make them feel that they are growing in the right direction. So it can never, never be one directional communication that this is a task and you have to complete it. If you want to get best out of your team, this approach would never work. So sitting together with a team member on a frequent basis and asking what are their ambitions, where they want to go, what, what they want to achieve in this quarter, in this month or probably in next year, right? And then somehow, because you have the bigger picture that where company is heading and where this skill can be useful, it's very beautiful actually. When you actually start breaking it down, a lot of time we didn't have to struggle to find out that the team member had a different ambition and the company had different and how do we find a match? Because there will be always something or other where their ambition kind of matches. So if you sit together and have this bide. Buy- directional communication all the time that where you want to go not only where company want to go then it takes time it's not just you have to spend time with a team member but that's i'll go back why you're getting paid for to sit with the team member right to spend time with them so that good leadership can bring communication i would say more and more we talk more and more we openly talk about it things get in the right direction
0: yeah, I want to add here that sometimes you have some challenges or problems you want to solve and you are looking for talents on the on the market to hire people to help you with the problem. But with that approach, when you like try to learn your people, you can be surprised that somebody from your team already wants to contribute to that problem. And even if they don't have enough experience, they have loyalty and they may have like good kind of basis and, and good qualities to accomplish the task. When you see that, the the solution is obvious what to do, rather than like just to say, take new risks, onboard a new person, That is a solution of like proposing
1: I, I to solve agree. this. Yeah. And we did that. I mean, like we also started to, now it became even more of a ritual that if a new job post goes out on our website, we also post it internally, by the way. This is something we are opening. So if some, either you know some of your friends, or is this something that you might be interested in, reach out to us, right? It's just a very open communication. Sometimes can be do one-liner, right? Just posting in a chat, hey, who knows this? And somebody comes by, hey, I know this. like, do you have two hours for me? Maybe you can fix it for me, right? Or whatever. So this kind of informal communication is not gonna be, I mean, like, they know that this openness is there, right? So that's where, especially with the team of our side, which is, I would say around 100 people, like less than 100, slightly less than 100 people, is totally uh, worth it, giving that kind of try. And even when you scale, right, you have to find out how to find the right channel of communication, but totally agree with you what you said. People always surprise us. Sometimes somebody came up with some skill I'm like, really? Do you? <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. You mentioned the scaling. So do you have plans to scale rapidly? And if so, what are your vision on how you can scale like in perspective of engineering development?
1: Yes, that's, of course, first plan. I mean, as a startup, you have to because that's what the definition of a startup that when you get your things right, you have to scale exponentially so yes we will we are striving for that and of course fingers crossed we'll hopefully get there Mm -hmm. soon. get to that problem plans how to manage that that was what helped us last few years of trying all different methods right how to hire internal team with slow pace or also with the rapid pace versus also how to quickly onboard external team to get things done these all small experiments we have done already right so we have a confidence that yes when we scale Depending on the problem, because this is a very broad question Then, when you scale, what do you do? But depends, when you scale, are you scaling your software or not? Maybe sometime you're not, you're just scaling your hardware, right? Or maybe you're scaling the software or maybe you're scaling your business. So whenever that particular problem comes, we will go for one of these approach, which boils down to this category, either working with an external team or finding the right internal team or mix of the both. But because we have done that in past, that gives us a confidence. That something or other will work out.
0: And could you please elaborate on where you see there is better applications for external teams and for internal teams in terms of scaling?
1: So what is important that, as I said, what was the key difference between external and internal thing? if I keep the economics aside, right, that was the having the full visibility of the company, where are we heading Mm -hmm keeping the vision intact because they have been part of you for long term, they understand where we want to go, where where not. So, I mean, I'm thinking out loud, I didn't think about this problem before. But I think if you ask that question, specifically, if you want to work with these two teams together, where will you place it? My first bet will be that I put internal teams into, let's say, take an external team who is working on certain project, while an internal person is managing that project, right? Being that, manager of that external team so that will help us because when we scale it's not that only the current existing manager who are whoever are they they will be able to manage all the external teams at the same time because just not practical but because we have already created a good amount of internal people who have that confidence and they are growing in their role they can take a new leadership position they can then transmit that energy that vibe and that vision To the new team that you are quickly onboarding so that's how i would see the tree becoming right that your current team members becomes more of a initial manager for whichever new team you onboard then you can rely upon the external team okay that person is managing it he has a full visibility and he will get things done
0: and also i heard about the approach when you give to external teams some uh, kind of end-to-end product so they work on some specific parts uh, and somebody from your team can manage that process
1: this is what i was saying so end-to-end product is also always nice because when you give them then they have their own creativity and freedom you have to define Mm -hmm. in the challenge there to always define the scope very clearly that this is exactly what we want to achieve but if you have that scope defined then of course there may be much more experience in that particular project as even as compared to your internal team and they can get it delivered but if you have a scope and also the expectations defined, delivery timeline well defined. And as you said, then you're one of the internal team is managing it. But yeah, into and, pro- and this we did in the past, actually. There was a moment where we needed to deliver one product within a month because our certification timeline just changed, and the auditor gave, hey, can we have it a bit before? And all our timeline changed. We onboarded an external team. We gave a clear scope and clear timeline, and they did it.
0: Yeah. And Elon Musk said that uh, he think that that is a must um, for engineer and managers to be technically excellent. I agree with that. What are your thoughts?
1: I have a mixed view. I mean, I understand where he is coming from. That, of course, if you want to really, re- I mean, we have to understand the core emotion where he is coming from. Right. That if you really want to resonate or understand the challenges of your team members, and if you've never code, done any coding in your life, you may be just cooking up whatever thought in your head, but it doesn't work on ground, right? So that definitely gives, we should, so there where I say that you should have experienced that to manage somebody, you should have similar level of understanding that you can fit yourself in their shoes, right? So there I totally agree that people should be there, but again, always we take things by words, right? Now, if we just go word by word, there has to be the excellent coder. What does it mean? That all the team I am managing, that I should be better coder than everybody in my team and all the different skill that I'm managing within the team is just impossible, right? And it's just not even practical. If I'm managing a team of a full stack, and then now there is a backend DevOps and front end and 15 different technology that my team is working upon. Life so, is you know, not enough. <laughs> well, life is not enough. Exactly, right? So that's not practical and that's what we have to understand but what is practical that if you have done good coding and you have a good understanding of the coding so you can irrespective of the language they use you can still do a nice code review by guiding them what is the logical coding process right so these are basic things that you should be good at and of course you should you can be good at one or two language but as you said one life is not enough to do everything so we don't have to take it word by word the important is that can you fit yourself in the shoe of the developer? And if they are stuck, can you help them? Right? Not only by just giving a nice and buttered word to and say a very motivational statement, but really practically sitting with them, share your screen, show me your code. Try to figure, let's try to figure out where you can be going wrong, where things can be going wrong. If you have that much credibility or that much trust from your developers, then I think it's, it's good. So you have to find that middle ground because otherwise it's not just practical to know everything and then manage. And also it's it's also a bit egoistic. I would like to add one more part because that also makes the leaders very egoistic. Because what helped in my life that always knowing that at least in certain areas, my team members are much more skilled than me, right? And that allows me to give them that freedom that do your things in your own way, right? And they come with beautiful solution, which I may not be able to bring by myself, even if I knew that part of the code, right? Or if I knew that language. So that ego, we have to get away from that. Hey, I'm the best coder here. So you better listen to me. No, you
0: mean the, the arrogance.
1: Arrogance, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that arrogance, we should avoid irrespective who are you, right? And for that, I would say that's where I see the risk of that statement that if your manager is the best coder in the room and at least he thinks that he is the best coder in the room, you can hardly (laughs) avoid (laughs) an
0: arrogance
1: and then creativity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great. Could you please share with us if you can, what are kind of main challenges with the development team right now you are
1: facing? Challenges in the sense, what I realize if I try to sum up in one word or something. That things require a cyclic process. There is never that something you develop a culture, you develop a process, and you simply rolled out a meeting or rolled out a training, and you assume that next two years everything is happening in that way because everything has so natural evolution as well. So, always getting back that okay, there will be you start something, you will get misaligned, something will be. Then you are very conscious of that, you get back there, to try to realign. It's a continuous and dynamic process. Accepting that and also being aware of that is the biggest challenge. Because it's also not that you don't know this, but you don't know when it's coming. And suddenly something falls down, right? And then you're like, oh, we have to realign again.
0: You mean to get the feedback when you do some iteration, how do you build kind of a structure where you can get the constant feedback about the progress, right?
1: Exactly. It's feedback about the progress and also realign. Just we cannot assume that we told something or we established a process one year back and it is being followed every day without me reminding or we getting back in the same meeting again and saying, hey. This is what, why we brought this process. And this is what was the benefit of this process. So just having this dynamic, constant reminder and also changing that part, but it's a very high level statement, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to the real challenge, I would go back yeah, because everybody evolved in their own way. Right. So developer that started with you three years back was a, was just learning the energy that person had or ambition that person had may have a different thing today. Right. His personal life may also change. How much you are aware of that, them as a person, and again realigning where you can put their best use use of their current conditions. That takes a lot of time. And that I think I would say when we grow and when we are actually managing the team gets bigger and bigger, something gets overlooked. And that's where the problems start to come.
0: Yeah, I just had a conversation with the talented developer who wants to become manager and like we had conversation about how important it is to make processes standard and kind of a, a way how I see it p- people think about the process I mean the, the management process as you said that they set up the process and that's it like in code you just had the piece, piece of code that does something and that's it right. <laughs> but when you deal with people you have that constant change and that's really important. Yeah, I just want also to emphasize and add how important it is and uh, people who didn't have experience, management experience, yeah, you can get into trouble mm. because uh, the expectations and actual results do not match.
1: That's correct. So not only the people changing, but also our surrounding changes pretty much. That. Yeah. Everything yeah. changes. So we it will be very difficult to say this is a process. And that's how it will run for 10 years. I think yeah. we are just being too naive there, right, <laughs> to, yeah. to assume that.
0: Sure. And uh, we are coming to the end of the interview. And uh, do you have any advice you can give to engineering managers or maybe to engineers who want to become engineering mm-hmm. managers?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, It will be, of course, uh, very not justice to tell that I give one advice and that will be applicable because everybody has their own challenge and depends on the team you are managing, the context you are managing. So any of the statement, I would say may not be universal, but I can just share my experience. What helped me, I mean, just consider my background. Okay, I knew coding. I'm a physicist at the end, right? So I knew coding. Just during my physics work, but I didn't do any industrial level software development or something before taking up the role of being the manager, right. So Mm -hmm. I understood coding, but I didn't do in the same setting my developer does, right. But being always open to listen to them, understanding, you know, landscaping their talent, and learning from each other, that mode always helped uh, keeping, you know, team, are very fun and also progressing. So I would say, yeah, you need not to be, as we discussed, the best coder. I mean, you should have some basics to that. You have that ideas. But more important is that how are you investing your time and considering leadership as a responsibility. And leadership come as a part of, I mean, leadership has an important component, a mentorship. So leadership is not about assigning a task and changing people that why this is not done right? Being the mentor, being the buddy who is part of the entire growth, which is also helping you. It's not that you are doing a favor to anyone, right? It's helping you because more time to invest in creating these new leaders. Every leader has a responsibility to create a new leader, I would say. So more you are conscious of this fact, that will simplify your life. Because even within your team, there are more and more people that you mentor and then one it's an investment. It's like a startup investment, right? You invest on 20 startups, maybe one of them picks up and 19 fails. But that's what will happen with the team. You invest a lot of time with all your team members. Maybe one of them picks up, but that mm-hmm. will solve your next chapter when you are moving to the next step. So being conscious that mentorship is an important part of the being leader, right? Leadership is not about just getting an update. So that is one part I would say is very, at least help me scaling the team and to be able to rely upon what is going on and putting yourself in the shoes of the people that what is there and also getting to know people on a personal level as well that if this is not done what's there right is it just that you are not you're not making direct assumptions. right having an open culture these are the few things which is applicable for any leader i would say goes specific to engineering managers are that yeah how much then you can Relate with that challenge, right? Where it comes the first part of our discussion. If you can sit and spend time with them or you have done it yourself. So always remember that you were in the similar position at some point back, right? (laughs) Remember your roots. Remember your roots. Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's Uh, funny because you know,
1: like this is I would like to make that comment here because sometimes I feel like if people has gone through a difficult pathway, they go into that arrogance, then the others should also suffer right? And they go through the the similar path. I mean, not applicable for everybody, but I've seen some people taking that route. So even if they know, they're like, no, you have to go through the difficult pathway like I did. So I won't help you right away. Depends. I mean, it's all leadership style and mentorship style, but just be conscious that yeah, we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel all the time, right? So maybe if you give some nice push to somebody, they can come with something better even. All these different consciousness that and it boils down to the same part that at the end, more your time invest in your team and let them level up, it will simplify your work. So it's not a favor you're doing. Actually, it's doing a favor to yourself.
0: Yeah. True leader is someone who creates It's Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's a kind of art how to do it. And that's management art. Yeah, thank you, Ankit, and I would like to finish our interview with a kind of light exercise, we call it rapid fire round. I will ask you several personal questions and you'll come up with whatever answers you want. What is the latest movie that impressed you the most?
1: So movies, I'm a movie buff, so almost every movie <laughs> impresses me. The movie I think I watched was Trial of Chicago, I think that's how the name was. I- Good, but it, yeah, that one was, if I'm not mistaken with the name, it was with Eddie Randall uh, Edmund uh, So I liked it, that one was good.
0: Why? What was special in it?
1: I normally love the real life, like, you know, a biographical kind of movies, which is based mm-hmm. in some part, which is as real life characters, but presented in a way that is still entertaining. W- Who was the hero? Eddie Redmond, I think. He was the hero. The Trial of Chicago 7, that was the movie name. There were a lot of good actors out there. But the main reason, because it was based on a real-life incident It may sound a bit ignorant, but I love learning history from movies sometimes. And then I go back and learn history with the real credible sources. But it gives me a motivation to understand. So but I love biographical movie in general. That was one of the reasons. Cool.
0: What is the location that impressed you the most?
1: I think as a traveler, I think I Barcelona was one of my favorite for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, Berlin I is a uh, uh, favorite, but it's just more about the uh, I'm pretty hip. Uh, so I <laughs> love these locations. Also, the people, openness of the people to just chill out.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Siesta. Siesta. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I, love, I mean, we are a sleep company, so. We are close here, actually. (laughs) Even if we are based in Zurich, right? We are close CS the company. Yeah, sure.
0: (laughs) And what is the piece of advice you you would give to your 20-year-old self?
1: Uh, To 20-year-old, I will say, uh, don't stress too much. Things works out. Uh, If I look back, everything was fine, Okay, But I was just very stressed that I'm just running out of time and I should do this or I should do that, Mm -hmm. which I Still do, but I got better confidence because it was part of the insecurity that maybe what if this doesn't happen and what if that doesn't happen, right? One of the advice that I got from my teacher, which actually already during that time, which helped me that, okay, no exam is the last one. That carried Mm -hmm. forward in my whole life in good or bad time, both ones, that even if it went bad, then there is another chance. But if it went good, don't be too arrogant about it, maybe Mm -hmm. the next one you can fail. Right, Yeah. so both cases it helped me aligning and I would say, yeah, the better confidence I will give.
0: Yeah, cool. I think that's a perfect way to end today's interview. Thank you, Ankit, for sharing so much with us. Uh, I loved the fact how you shared, how you manage your teams with the OTRs and basically for what you manage, for what tasks you manage the external and internal teams. Thank you for sharing more about your company. I think that the problem you're solving is really huge and the way how you do it is kind of elegant. Thank you very much. But before we finish, what is the best way to get in touch with you if our listeners want to get some advice or are looking for any collaborations?
1: I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a common mm-hmm. way that can uh, people can just reach out to me or like Yeah, LinkedIn, I think, is the best, easiest way. Of course, you can also shoot an email. Uh, and in general, I'm a very approachable person. I would say if a person writes down that they want to get in touch, I'm very happy. I'm a very people person. So I would never complain, why are you writing me? Mm-hmm. So if you think I can help in any way or you have some thoughts to share, feel free to get in touch.
0: We will include all the links in the description section. Thank you for your time, for the lovely conversation. Thank you, listeners. And we will catch up in next episodes.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for nicely moderating the conversation. I hope this was helpful for our listeners.
0: Thank you.